0: From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, October 20th. Two Moab residents are under arrest for allegedly stealing over $1 million of dinosaur bones from public lands in southeastern Utah. Moabites Vint Wade and Donna Wade are accused of knowingly obtaining and selling these bones over a period of five years, beginning in March 2018. It is
1: alleged that the Wade sold over $1 million, approximately 150,000 pounds, of paleontological resources taken from southeastern Utah.
0: U.S. Attorney Trina A. Higgins in a press conference Thursday... Prosecutors allege that the Wades paid individuals to remove dinosaur bones from federal lands. The Wades are also accused of stockpiling these resources to sell at gem and mineral shows. Prosecutors say they sold a substantial amount to Los Angeles resident Stephen Willing and Ashland, Oregon resident Jordan Willing.
1: During one transaction alone that is alleged in the indictment, the Wades contracted to sell 28,000 pounds of dinosaur bones to the Willings for $1.4 million.
0: Prosecutors allege that the Willings then exported the illegally obtained dinosaur bones to China by mislabeling them to avoid detection by federal agents.
1: The defendants knew the bones were taken from the public land, and they took steps to hide the true nature of the bones.
0: In addition to stealing over $1 million in paleontological resources, Higgins at the U.S. Attorney's Office alleges that defendants caused over $3 million in damages. This includes damage to science.
1: As you can imagine, when dinosaur bones and other paleontological resources are removed from their primary location, they lose almost all scientific value. Whatever value we could gain... By knowing this location that they are at, what other bones were near them, the type of soil they were found in, all of that scientific value is lost.
0: All four defendants are charged with conspiracy against the United States as well as violating the 2009 Paleontological Resources and Preservation Act. Under the act, it is illegal to remove fossils that provide information about the history of life on Earth. Prosecutors say they are pursuing this case as an environmental crime. Attorney Higgins says a crime like this also represents a loss to future generations who will not be able to experience these dinosaur bones on their public lands.
1: So although dinosaur bones and all of the paleontological resources have a value on some markets, the true loss of removing these items from public lands cannot be monetarily measurable. It is invaluable.
0: Cooperating agencies in the federal case are the Bureau of Land Management's Monticello Field Office, the FBI Salt Lake City Field Office, as well as the San Juan and Grand County Sheriff's Offices. During Thursday's press conference, Grand County Sheriff's Lieutenant Al Symbalik thanked federal partners for, quote, dismantling illegal trade of paleontological artifacts in our community. Grand
1: County Sheriff's Office was pleased to support the BLM in their pursuit of criminal activity and bringing for those suspected of crimes uh, for prosecution.
0: Symbalik says the Grand County Sheriff's Office will continue to support outside agencies in apprehending criminals in our community. Attorney Higgins says it's rare for a case to be charged under the Paleontological Resources and Preservation Act, and also rare to have a case that involves so many pounds of such paleontological resources. The defendants made their initial appearance in court on Thursday. Prosecutors expect to answer more questions about the case once it's fully adjudicated. For years, some elected officials on the Navajo Nation have tried and failed to repeal parts of the Diné Marriage Act that prohibits legal recognition of same-sex marriages. Advocates are trying again this year. But as Clark Adamitis with our partners at KSJD and KSUT reports, there is still resistance to same-sex marriage in Window Rock.
2: Same-sex marriage has been illegal on the Navajo Nation since 2005. This year, council members are sponsoring a bill that would reverse the ban. The Nabi Kiyati Committee contains all 24 members of Tribal Council. As delegates, we're caught in the middle. During discussion of the legislation, Delegate Danny Simpson called the decision, quote, very sensitive. We have some of our constituents supporting this legislation and some of our constituents not supporting this legislation. I have to uh, respect that. Following discussion, six members of the committee voted in favor of legalizing same-sex marriage. Thirteen voted to table the bill. Three members were absent. Several opponents also suggested that Navajo people should decide the issue with a ballot referendum.
3: I expected that
1: there were going to be tabling. I expected that they were going to request for a referendum.
2: Councilmember Eugenia Charles-Newton is co-sponsor of the bill.
1: I think there was just a lot of Delegates who are scared to make a stand, whether it's for it or against it.
2: The future of same-sex marriage legislation is uncertain. And the bill sponsors have agreed to further discussions at a work session within the next 30 days. I'm Clark Adamaitis.
0: Some people in our region dream of a mountaintop wedding. And how about a place where couples could get hitched for free? Sean Higgins, with our partners at KUER, reports on one venue's allure and aggravations.
4: For years, brides and grooms scheduled their weddings at a makeshift outdoor venue at the edge of Park City, Utah. It had an arch of old tree branches, bench seating for about 100 people, and a breathtaking 360-degree view of the Wasatch Mountains. It was known as the Church of Dirt, and it was available for free.
1: I just heard that it was a church on a mountain, so I was like, hmm. So I Googled it, of course, and it just looked so amazing and so beautiful.
4: That's Mary Beth Pinor, whose nephew got married there a few weeks ago. The ceremony was one of the last at the Church of Dirt. The city council shut it down. Councillor Max Doyle said what started off as a quirky thing only locals knew about has become unmanageable.
5: It's a perfect example of love it to death. I think we've absolutely done that. We've seen that it's been abused, and to me that
4: has exceeded our capability to manage. Park City is known more for celebrity sightings during the Sundance Film Festival than literal dirt-cheap weddings. The Church of Dirt on city-owned Parkland offered a welcome counterpoint to the opulence found a little further down the mountain. But in the days leading to the council's decision, city open space manager Heinrich Dieters said officials were increasingly concerned.
5: There's a beautiful sense to what the Church of Dirt really is. And then there's a harsh reality of what it's become.
4: Dieters said what was once an under-the-radar community space was being overrun, even though the city didn't advertise the Church of Dirt anywhere. There was no website to visit or phone number to make a reservation. Instead, couples left a wooden plank or other marker with their names, their requested date and time, and a phone number or email address. Then they just showed up in hopes nobody else had plans to use the area that day. That's exactly what Panora's nephew and wife did.
1: They put their reservation on a piece of cardboard, but he said it probably got blown off. They said sometimes, especially if your marker blows away, you never know what you're going to you know, end up with, having somebody else up here.
4: When city officials shut down the site, dozens of these markers were there. Some are even for dates well over a year from now. Dieters said demand grew due to social media and the COVID-19 pandemic forcing many weddings to be outside. And that caused problems because the site sits at a spot that hundreds, if not thousands, of people used to access the area's trail network each week. He said the Church of Dirt suffered from what he calls the privatization of public open space.
5: We've actually had many reports of uh, people who are trying to access the trail through there that are stopped by people with some bow ties, etc. Tents that are put up right in the middle of it, you know, blocking the trails and people saying, hey, you can't come through here a private wedding.
4: The land actually was private until Park City purchased almost 1,400 acres of the area called Bonanza Flat in 2017. The goal was to preserve it as community open space. The Church of Dirt was just left over from a wedding hosted by the previous landowner. Finding a balance between all of the users was a challenge, Dieter said.
5: You want people to see these beautiful landscapes that, you know, in part they've purchased in a sense with public funds.
4: But he added that unless demand is managed, then the landscape is going to lose every time. In 2021, Park City launched a free shuttle linking downtown with several popular trailheads. That cleared up some of the traffic and parking issues plaguing Garsman Pass, where the Church of Dirt sits. But city officials still saw safety concerns with too many cars on the road and trash sometimes littering the landscape after a celebration. Dieter said it might take a new generation of couples to solve the problem.
5: It takes the young creative mind to go find the next Church of Dirt, Right. And it's that sort of purity of it that I think is why it was so special. And I think it's lost that. So I think that there's lots of church dirts out there.
4: Dieter said the city plans to contact anyone with a scheduled wedding and tell them they need a new venue.
0: Sean Higgins reporting with our partners at KUER. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Reducing congestion in Moab's downtown corridor has long been a goal of local elected officials. The latest edition of The Times Independent takes us back five years when the city first received state funding to reduce traffic. Reporter Sophia Fisher explains. Yes. So five
6: years ago, in a galaxy far away, no, I'm being a little, (laughs) sorry, a little dramatic.
0: Um, Five years ago, the Utah
6: legislature provided hotspot funding to uh, tourism hubs, including Moab, provided us uh, $10 million to address congestion downtown, and the city had some leeway with how to spend the funding so we could make proposals to the legislature. Originally, the city had proposed a downtown parking structure, and eventually the city backtracked and decided to instead propose two things, um, neither of which was a parking structure. One of which would be a dispersed parking project, which is basically just changing the way parking is oriented along downtown streets to overall uh, uh, increase the number of spots. And then also this thing called the Moab Area Transit uh, Program, which is a shuttle that could provide free kind of on-demand service for folks hoping to get around the downtown area without using personal vehicles. Now, where are we now? So at least with the transit system, we are five months in and by any measure, the no-fare shuttle service has been a rousing success. It's provided about 30,000 rides to folks in the last five months of existence, which is generally about double what city engineer Chuck Williams said, you know, he would have considered to
0: be a success at the
6: beginning of the program. So
0: it seems like a lot of people have adopted that method of transportation to get them around Mm -hmm. um, Moab City. So that was a report that came out of the city council meeting. Um, Anything else to say about the hotspot? I think um, parking is still on the brain of the city council.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, as folks may know, they piloted this dispersed project Mm -hmm. on 100 East between Um, center street and 100 north so the the parking spots go into the middle of the road it's kind of like what you see in front of city hall in front of the library Um, and they actually just approved a contract with legrand johnson to go ahead and put in um, the rest of the parking spots it's going to be i think nearly 200 on 10 different blocks or so downtown Uh, that's going forward which is great Uh, at the same time the costs have increased a lot since it was first proposed in 2021 um, the final cost is $6.7 million, you know, and legislative monies are covering most of that. But the city did have to pull a million dollars out of its rainy day fund to make the same number of spots that are going to have fewer amenities than they'd originally hoped for as well.
0: Okay, so it sounds like even though there is this grant money available to the city, which they're using on dispersed parking, it's getting more expensive and the city has to put more money in from their end.
6: Yeah, exactly. More buck and less bang, you could say. We <laughs> <'Cause-> will say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, no, not all the council members agreed with going forward with this next uh, round of parking. Yeah,
6: uh, Council Ronnie Derosary cast um, the, the sole no vote. She was saying that, you know, citizens want amenities and beautification. And she feels like they keep getting let down over and over again, um, saying such because the, some of the stalls won't have the lighting and the landscaping that the city had originally wanted for all of them. Mm. You know, ultimately some other counselors voted yes kind of reluctantly, but noted that the costs would probably only increase the longer they waited. So it, it did make sense, even though it's kind of a,
0: a tough pill to swallow. So more information on the parking and the shuttle are in this week's edition of the Times Independent. And what which story do you want to highlight next? Uh, housing. Okay, so this is the second in a series that you are doing, Sophia, mm-hmm. on housing in our community. The first, remind us, um, what, what did that focus on?
6: Yeah, that covered these Moab cities AEH uh, actively employed household ordinance from last year and the series overall examines housing policy with a special emphasis on the relationship between municipalities and, and loca- local governments such as Grand County with the state legislature.
0: All right so number two in the series published this week. What are you looking at in this one? So the first part kind of zeroed in on the AEH ordinance to open up the
6: themes that I want to examine in more mm-hmm. detail throughout the series. So the second one kind of dives into different bills um, that the legislature 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 um, has put forth in the past couple of years that have made it somewhat harder to enforce uh, or obtain affordable or attainable housing in Moab and Grand County. Um, So I zero in on a couple of different bills. And then I also, you know, I spoke with folks at the city and the county, uh, one former legislator as well and quoted other ones and a couple of experts as well to talk about kind of the general broader trends that they're seeing on this sort of historic tug of war between the the state and municipalities. And of course, I should mention it's not all doom and gloom. I included. some points of optimism. You know, there are a lot of things that local governments and the state legislature do agree on with housing. Right. Um, and there are some really awesome cases of collaboration and success too. But it's, it's definitely been in some ways an uphill battle.
0: Are there some bills that you'd like to highlight here related to this tough kind of back and forth between the state legislature and local government when it comes to housing policies?
6: Yeah, I think one I'd love to highlight involves an issue that hasn't actually hit Moab yet, but some folks are expecting it will. And that's the idea of fractional ownership
0: yeah yeah
6: so there are you know more and more obviously like there are family members or Mm -hmm. or different people who may own a home together but Mm -hmm. more and more there are companies that are advertising fractional ownership as a way for folks to co-own kind of a luxury second home Mm -hmm. that they would not have otherwise been able to afford Park City is already seeing this Moab hasn't yet um, but you know city manager Carly Castle and the planning and zoning director Corey Shurtleff said they're they feel it's inevitable Mm -hmm. and that once these once houses get kind of taken over by these LLCs with up to like eight Eight different owners, right. it's almost impossible for them to re enter the local housing market compared to traditional second homes. Right. And I'm bringing this back to the legislature. Um, there was a bill passed kind of towards the end of this year's general session that basically says um, local governments or governments cannot regulate co owned homes any differently than right. they do other residences.
0: And if I'm remembering, you know, the legislative session correctly, that bill was in response to Park City wanting to regulate fractional Mm -hmm. ownership. So that's, you know, similar to Moab. Moab has put forth, you know, proposals or advocated on behalf of our ability to regulate many different things and come back with uh, a retaliatory bill. And that seems to have been the case in Park City. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, um, I know that you want to introduce a new person on Staff at the Times Independent. Yeah, we have a news fellow,
6: uh, Gwen Dilworth. She joined our staff last week. Um, I hope everybody welcomes her to Moab. She'll be here uh, through January while I take a short sabbatical to go back home, back east, and see family. Um, yeah, Gwen has been amazing so far. She's hit the ground running. You'll notice she has an A one byline in her first week, which is incredible. Um, and yeah, she she comes here from New Orleans. Uh, where she worked for a nonprofit that was involved in the criminal
0: justice system. Okay, and anything to highlight from what she contributed to this week's edition?
6: Yeah, she has several bylines, but her A1 byline is about a discussion the Grand County Planning Commission recently had about glamping. They were reviewing an application for Entrada Moab, which is a proposed glamping development, pretty small, that would uh, come into play around the intersections of the intersection of highways 191 and 313. Mm. Uh, and in the end, the planning commission actually decided to post postpone their vote about whether or not to recommend it to the county commission, and basically instructed plan, uh, planning staff to come up with a definition for glamping and better ways to regulate it. Because, you know, as folks know, glamping mm. accommodations aren't really traditional hotels, but they're not really campgrounds either. They they lie in this weird, murky middle
0: space. Yeah, they're luxury, they're luxury overnight accommodations, but also not really.
6: Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> and you know, we've seen more of them under Canvas already has now its two developments around Moab and is eyeing a, So it's definitely a use that is cropping up just more and more in
0: our area. Okay, so it sounds like the Planning Commission, as you explained, sent things back to staff to work on those definitions a little bit more. I'm curious to see where it goes. You know, Entrata, Moab
6: came before the County Commission, I want to say it was early 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, the County Commission actually got pretty close to approving it, but felt that the application, you know, the the applicants were promising a couple of different things, such as workforce Mm -hmm. housing and conservation easements, but there wasn't enough, quote, like teeth to ensure they'd follow through on it. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting they've come back, I think, um, with kind of bigger proposals and maybe more teeth, as had been yeah. requested. But now they're getting hampered by this kind of lack of, of existing planning around glamping. It's just interesting
0: next chapter in the same development. Sophia Fisher, reporter at the Times Independent. Find more stories at MoabTimes.com. Moab Sun News reporter Allison Harford recently took a hike in the LaSalle Mountains with two wildlife technicians. They were there to survey pika. Harford says these alpine mammals are particularly vulnerable to climate change. She wrote about the experience for the latest edition of The Sun and tells us what they found. Yeah, so we can
3: start with what the pika is. Pikas are really really cute alpine mammals. They're kind of like if you picture a potato-sized mouse but with no tail and then you give it like a rabbit face and it has really chubby cheeks. They're like extremely cute.
0: Where do they live?
3: So they live in talus slopes across the Rocky Mountains. So they really like alpine areas and they're pretty easy to recognize because you can see them scurrying around talus slips and they also have a really distinct call which is kind of like a little neep. (laughs) (laughs) In the La they actually have a two note call. So they do that little sound twice. Wow! Because they live in alpine environments um, they're Habitats make them particularly vulnerable to climate change because mm. they really like cooler temperatures. And so in the summer, they will hide beneath these uh, talus rocks, especially because The rocks will collect ice and snow over the winter and then almost make these little refrigerators where the pikas can hang out and store all their food. So obviously, as temperatures rise, this is a challenge for Mm -hmm. the pikas. Um, And there's a lot of research kind of asking the question of how much these pikas are being influenced. That story starts way back in 2007 when the Center for Biological Diversity petitioned the Department of Interior to list pikas under the Endangered Species Act. Mm. And in 2010, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service rejected the bid, so it took three years. And they said that pikas can tolerate warmer temperatures in the summer by hiding beneath these rock crevices. Um, So they're basically saying, like, we're not worried about it. But that bid in 2007 kind of started off this question around the nation of, okay, maybe we should look into pikas And that mm-hmm. happened in Utah. So I talked to Scott Gibson, who is a wildlife conservation biologist with the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. And he said the agency has been conducting these statewide pica surveys since
0: 2008. All right. So since they raised that question way back in 2007, when the Center for Biological Diversity, you know, petitioned the federal government around the PICA. This got a huge question rolling. And it sounds like research off the ground here in our state.
3: Yeah, so there's been a lot of um, nationwide research since then, too. A really um, important one happened in 2016 when the U.S. Geological Survey found that pika populations across the Great Basin, Northeastern California, and in Zion National Mm -hmm. Park um, had declined below historic numbers, apparently due to temperature increases. So in Utah, we've been tracking pikas. They were on a three-year survey schedule, so it was in 2008, 2011. 2014 and 2017 and then in 2017 it switched to every six so the next survey would be in 2023 and the reason for that is because the pica population in Utah is actually doing pretty well um, in general and so I was really curious about what's going on in the LaSalle's. So I accompanied two seasonal DWR technicians to a PICA survey location in the LaSalle's. So the way these surveys work is there are a ton of locations all around the state. Um, in the LaSalle's, it would take about 10 days, of, mm-hmm. like 10 full days of work to visit every single survey location. And those were picked using kind of like a service similar to Google Maps to find talus slopes and then choose a bunch of random points Um, and then people went out and found where the points could actually be accessed and then they set up this 100 meter circle around it Um, so when I went out with these technicians we had this location between Medicine Lake and South Mountain Um, they had it on a GPS so we were on trail for maybe like two minutes and then we just kind of took off into the woods and hiked up around 15 minutes or so to this big talus slope. And when
0: you were out there, were you able to see or hear any pika? Yeah,
3: so the surveys aren't super perfect. No pikas were found within our little 100-meter circle, but just a few yards outside of the boundary, a pika had made its home on a small talus patch um, surrounded by a meadow.
0: Is it so tempting to be like, well, pikas are here. They're just not
2: in my circle. (laughs) Yes,
3: so there's a Uh part of it that's Uh like, well, you know, pikas, seem to be doing okay right. at this location. So the surveys also take data on tree and shrub cover to track if vegetation is encroaching on talus slopes mm-hmm. because pikas really like places where there is an interaction between rocks and shrubs so that they can still yeah. find food. Um, but if those trees and shrubs are getting too close to where the pikas are living, then they will move because right. they love the rocks.
0: Was it fun for you to go out with these two researchers?
3: Yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed it and I think that pikas are so interesting. Like I think it's really cool that we track these kind of climate indicator species and pikas are a really important one. Like Scott Gibson said they're just this extremely charismatic animal. Um like they're so cute and everyone really likes them. Um and so he said these surveys really give them data to back up whatever land management decisions are being made.
0: There's another story we want to highlight in the moabs and News. Uh, where do you want to take us next, Allie? So I think a lot of people in Moab,
3: when they're asked about some of their favorite restaurants, 98 Center always comes up. And a lot of people in Moab will know that 98 Center has been closed since July. The restaurant initially shut down for a summer break, but then they began work to expand their business space. Um, so Holly Lammer, one of our reporters, went out and kind of got the update on what's going on over there.
0: I know that they've experienced some headaches in their remodeling project. So fill us in.
3: Right. What I found the most interesting was that um, this building that ninety eight center is in, this space in the Center Street Square was actually never meant to be a restaurant at all. So it's gone through a bunch of transformations to um support Pantelli's Desert Deli. That was the first right. restaurant that was there. Before that it was a consignment shop and then it was ninety eight center. And so really the kitchen was like very, very small. And so when this opportunity came up to um, expand it, the owners kind of jumped on that. Mm -hmm. So the new plans include a walk-in refrigerator and an expanded server line, a bigger bar, And also, this big hood for an oven with like a griddle and stove and fryer. So, the transformation is coming with a lot of challenges because they're trying to get this older building up to current building code.
0: Mm. And unsurprisingly, probably ran into some surprises.
3: Yes, definitely ran into some surprises. So, the kitchen space shares walls with two neighboring businesses. So, those walls will have to have a double layer of firewall um, installed to meet commercial building code. And um, they also had to fight for a while to get on the agenda at the Moab City Council meeting because they needed a permit for this new vent that Mm. they want to install because it'll technically come outside of the restaurant and um, encroach on the sidewalk space Mm. it'll be like up high so people won't bump into it but it will kind of go into the sidewalk space which is technically city property Mm. and so the city council had to have this discussion about you know how do we um, how do we ethically allow private businesses Mm -hmm. and these for-profit institutions to encroach on city property Mm -hmm. because they were being pretty careful about it because they just didn't want this to be something that was pointed to in the future. So 98 Center kind of accidentally ran into the middle of this city council debate so it took a really long time to get on the agenda um, and get approved but the motion to approve that permit to build the new vent
0: was passed on October 10. Did they create a compromise or a solution to answer that question of you know this is a for-profit business that we're letting encroach on our property like how did they solve that?
3: They're planning this big code rewrite in the next couple months Um, so they're kind of pushing it off to then but they were saying that like no one in the city council was going to vote against this because it's 98 center and they support local businesses and so they really want to make a process to almost have staff vet that Mm -hmm. and say you know this is 98 center we know what this is Mm -hmm. we know what the vent is Mm -hmm. and what it's going to look like and so maybe that way it wouldn't have had to go before the council Mm, and like wait these weeks and months to Get it on the agenda.
0: Right. Are owners on track to open the restaurant by a certain time, or what does that conversation look like?
3: So, Alex Borishevsky is one of the owners who Holly talked to, and he said they are hoping to, and it would be really wonderful if the restaurant would be able to open around December. But one of the issues that they're going to run into when they do reopen is that they'll likely have to find new staff. Since they can't guarantee an opening date, many of the Cooks and servers who previously worked there had to find other jobs. Alex was saying he's frustrated, but everyone's kind of like doing the best that they can. They're trying to make this process as quick and easy as possible. Um, And when the renovations are done, it's going to be really wonderful.
0: Allison Harford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Find more stories at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes on our website, KZMU.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.